Good day, everyone. It's Harlan Hudson from Chargebacks 911. I'm very, very happy to be here and uh, looking forward to the conversation today. We have uh, my friend and an industry airline travel industry expert in payments uh, joining us, Paul Van Alphen. Say hello, Paul. Hello, Uh, Harlan. Nice to uh, be on board. Yeah, we, we're gonna we're gonna go into a, delve into a few topics uh, around the uh, the uh, sort of broad spectrum of post pandemic travel payments, and it, it's going to be, I think, a very interesting conversation. But Paul, tell me a little bit uh, about yourself. Uh, tell our listeners what you do, how you do it, and and your your background and past experience because you you have a a vast amount of experience in, in the arena of payments in the travel industry. Well, we only have 40 minutes, right? So I'll keep it short. Um, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, so Paul van Alphen, I'm, I'm, I'm an independent travel payments uh, consultant, uh, basically working all the way up and down the travel payment value chain uh, from, from IATA to, um, you know, to, to schemes, acquirers, payment gateways, uh, payment uh, orchestration providers, issuer, fraud companies, uh, anyone that wants to customize their offering towards travel industry, but also on the other side of the coin, working with airlines and OTAs to help them with their payment strategy, uh, mainly working, well, impact of the pandemic, obviously, but also uh, regulations, best practices, uh, legislation, any, anything that's specific to the travel industry. And obviously, there's a lot of things that are specific around payments in travel. So that's where I'm uh, actively involved in uh, with a couple of peers from the industry where we're trying to help the ecosystem uh, make it to the next level. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, that's fantastic, and and I know that uh, your experience, the experience you bring, is going to help us sort of uncover the good, the bad, and the ugly about uh, the evolution of payments in this post-pandemic world. So that's really what we're discussing today. We're going to be talking about a few things, uh, consumer behavior, how that's changed, uh, how that behavior has informed alternative payment methods. Um how the regions of the world, and we won't get to all this because there's just tons of content we could talk about here, how the regions of the world really have different approaches to paying. The consumers have different approaches to paying. And um, uh, there are two final topics. One is industry innovation. So travel industry innovation, there's been really pre-pandemic, there was a lot of that happening. But how is that transformed these approaches? How has the pandemic transformed these approaches? And then finally, how is it that some of the uh, industry players who previously were not in payments suddenly are in payments? I'm excited to get going, but let's start with consumer behavior. So so first of all, Paul, the pandemic brought a complete sea change to this idea of how do I get something I need. So I'm, I, I can't go to the store maybe, right? I can't get out of my house. And so now I need to find a way to buy supplies to survive, right? And so that mm-hmm. changed behaviors. What, what happened? What happened with payments with this pandemic? 
Yeah, that's, that's a very good observation. I think, uh, Harlan, that uh, I think you can speak about like an acceleration of digital transformation, if you can combine the two words. And um, where uh, I think consumers really at the core things they were doing, like, you know, the the the, 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 the primary needs, like, like eating, sleeping, etc. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, you can walk into a supermarket or you couldn't go out for, for, for dining or, you, you know, you, so I think what happened is that um, those people that were not yet accustomed to using, you know, an app to, to order a pizza and to have it home delivered and at the front door and then, you know, have a complex contactless, complete complex contactless experience and having a hand delivered and, and the payment is like, you know, already done in the app. I think that was for, for definitely certain parts of, of, let's say the demographics, the older generation was probably not yet as, as business as usual as it was for the younger generation. And I think that, well, it was, it was really like, you know, accelerated and, and, and yeah, by the way, because people had to do it like that. Right. And I think that's right. probably it initiated a lot of things that you know, accelerated a lot of things, and all of a sudden, I think well, there's no way back. I mean, um, I mean, I had discussions recently around okay, abandoning cash and and moving into digital payments. You know, paying with your phone or with a, with a with a card and contactless. And you no, know, and and one of the arguments was like, you know, once this was all behind us, once uh, then you know people will go back to cash. Well, I personally don't think so. But I don't think, think so either. I I agree with that 100. percent In fact, somebody paid me uh, for a meal that I was was uh, my wife and I went to to dinner with some friends, and they paid me a lot of you know cash. Right? I don't know what to do with it, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm just sort of kidding, but it's like I, I, you, there's a certain amount of boy, do I really want to touch this cash? Mm-hmm. Right? So now I'm not I'm not like that, but I know that a lot of people have questions about that. So when we talk about going contactless, right, we're talking about using a mobile phone, for example. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I went to a restaurant and I didn't give them my credit card. I just scanned it on my phone and a payment app came up and I did the tip and everything on my phone. That is now driving a lot of the innovations in payments, right? This idea that we don't have to pull out our credit card. What are the, what are the good things about that? What are the good things about that? And then, then talk to me about how that's impacting the travel industry. Because really, when we talk about mobile payments, contactless, uh, we talk mm-hmm. about uh, uh, shopping on the internet. There's, there's, you know, no travel agent involved. We don't go down to the local travel agent, and that that was changing anyway pre-pandemic. But, but what does that mean for the the, mm-hmm. the travel industry in general? Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned that 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 channel shift was already underway since the early 2000s, of course. But what I hear from regions like, for instance, in, in the Middle East, where it was still very common, uh, you know, to 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 book your, your flight, the local, uh, you know, hole in the wall travel agency, if you like, uh, that also there, because people had to abandon that and they had to stop, shop groceries online, stuff like that, that, that they also have now made the shift towards uh, uh, booking online and paying online. And I think that's, that's definitely that will further continue. Um, uh, and I think another aspect is what we've seen is that, uh, for instance, um, if you look at the whole journey, if you like, and all the touch points that you would normally have that, uh, you know, you already booked online, you know, you checked in online, you know, you bought, you bought your ancillaries online, you paid them online, but now also at the airport, 
you know, checking in, well, maybe now with uh, here in Europe, at least with uh, having to to check your, you know, your, um, you know, your status of your vaccinations, you know, you show your app and, you know, your QR code is scanned uh, and the, the kiosks are, are basically made in this 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 like 12, 15 month period that we have now behind us, they were made uh, contactless so that you could just, you know, with your phone, you could, you know, you could identify yourself and you could check in, you could, uh, you know, um, drop it back, you could pay for it. So I think that uh, was already underway, but from a, from a nice have, it became a must have. Yeah, absolutely. What about the experience? Let's talk airlines for just a second. What about the mm-hmm. experience of getting on an airline? So uh, I used to fly to, to London, right, on a, I won't tell you who it was, but uh, I would, I would uh, if I wanted to buy some, some alcohol because I didn't go in first class, I, I, I didn't feel like that was the right way to go. Uh, so I'm going to buy my alcohol now, right? I'm going to buy a, a, a glass of wine or whatever. I, the cart comes by the, the, or I, I uh, call for the, the flight attendant and I give them my card right? Has that changed, right? I, I, we're, we're kind of in the, kind of in the, in the era of, uh, you know, things are still evolving, I would say, but, but mm-hmm. do we see change in that respect, right? Where is there a contactless method that's evolving for, you know, these in-flight services as well? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, uh, there was already a transition on the way from uh, accepting cash in flight to abandoning that and, and to move to, to card only uh, or to mobile wallet only. You can still see contactless technology on board, which actually works either offline uh, or online with, with the Wi-Fi on board. So that, that was already a major step forward. I think what happened since, and I must have been, I haven't flown in 15 months, so I, I, just from what I've read, <laughs> is that <laughs> that the, the in-flight entertainment or the in-flight equipment is, is now basically being leveraged to have like a menu in, in, in the back of your seat in front of you and, and connect to your phone and actually order from your seat on demand, basically. So someone comes actually and deliver it, whatever you've ordered. So it's not like you're waiting for the, the trolley to come by, but you just order it and they bring it to you. And either you keep your tab open and you pay at the end, or uh, you know you you pay actually you know with your phone uh, directly uh, in flight. So yes, there's yeah. definitely I think there as well. Uh, the, and and by the way, it is very difficult to retrofit air, you know planes with with new technology. So it won't happen overnight. But there's definitely also an acceleration going on in that area as well. Right. So, so absolutely, that's correct. And, and let's, let's just cover the risks for just a second. The, the, the more uh, online, mobile, uh, you know, contactless payments that exist, right? And, and in my role as, uh, you know, doing strategic partnerships and working with, with the merchant side or the airline side, in this case, travel providers, uh, the the risk is is that these these uh, these uh, card not present transactions are going to turn into chargebacks. Uh, somebody's not going to recognize right that they bought this meal or whatever it was on the airline, uh, or they're not going to recognize some other aspect of this uh, transaction, right? And now the chargeback is going to happen, and so the 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 risks pile up as we go more and more, uh, I would call it remote from the experience at the airport, right? Where you're not paying for the ticket at the airport. You're not paying for anything. You're not encountering Mm -hmm. any person to pay for this 
this thing. So there's, it, it feels to me like there's less accountability in that. Do you, do you agree with that? That people are more, are they learning to charge back more? Are they, you know, questioning things more now that they're going online, going mobile with it? Um, yeah, I think there are a couple of viewpoints, a couple of angles there. I think I think the last part of that is when you use your mobile device, it's, it's an EMV transaction, so it is authenticated, so it was you. I mean, it's your device, it's your, uh, you know, your face scan or your fingerprint. So I think that's where you say, hey, you know, you can charge back it, but no, you did it. Uh, that, that, that's, I think, one one thing. Um, yeah, and, and sorry, what was the other one? Uh, just the idea that they're they're more likely to to feel at ease, you know, sort of uh, disputing a charge uh, when they do ah, it okay, remotely. Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I think, uh, uh, of course, one of the um, probably the most. Um, uh, heavily impacting thing uh, no it's been then was of course that the flights were canceled and that um you know customers had to apply for a refund had to wait or in the end decided that they they didn't want it anymore or they they wanted to receive their funds back and they reversed the payment they they charged they charged yep. it back so i think yeah. I, I i don't know maybe if you've seen that that for a lot of people that might have been the first time that they actually have actively reversed it and that they now see options oh, oh it works like this i can do it also in other circumstances yeah um yep. It, it also means that um, I think that using a, a card, uh, and we'll come to, the, to alternate forms of payment later, but I think the fact in, in today's you know, day and age with the pandemic now mostly behind us, but still active there, actively there, is that you know you need as a customer, you need protection that if something goes wrong, if the flight's right. if in, in the worst case scenario, the, the supplier stops operating completely, that at least you have the certainty that you can go back to your issue and can get your money back and you're not out of pocket yeah. of it. So I think that's also an aspect that it might work both sides. It, it helps uh, give, give confidence in, in the use of cars overall, but it also probably makes people aware of it and they might also try it out in other areas well, so I'm sure if you've uh, seen that, any cases of that. That we, we've seen a lot of that. And I think that <clears throat> part of the way that consumer behavior in travel has changed in this way is that once the shutdown came to you know the travel industry, the really the, the world, not just the travel industry, once the shutdown came, there was uh, obviously there there were. Uh, millions of reservations, you know, uh, every day, really, uh, that were that were all of a sudden uh, going to do one of a couple of things, right? They were either going to be refunded, right, which the airlines didn't want because all of a sudden their cash flow dries up. Now everybody wants a refund. Uh, so what do they do? They offer vouchers, right? And and there was this entire, almost like a tsunami of of uh, problems that existed. So it and this ties in with consumer behavior. Once the the consumers knew that they weren't going to get a refund, or that that let's just say that the airlines were resistant, with understandably, they had to go to their bank. And so many, many people who didn't know that they could file a dispute, all of a sudden filed a dispute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that created this, this sort of, uh, I would call it a, a critical mass of, of uh, cash 
uh, uh, siphoning from the airlines, right? And so there's a protection there, as to your point, but there also uh, ended up being a lot of uh, uh, residual problems. What what do you see about that? So the airline industry and the consumers now come to this point where the the behavior is matching up with the problem. I can't go on my trip, so I want a refund. They they issue me a voucher, so I go to my bank, blah, blah, blah. What kind of a tidal wave effect did that have for the industry? Um, well, I think if we now look back at last summer season in the Northern Hemisphere, um, that was all new. It was basically um, you know uncharted territory, if you like. Um, I think what happened quite quickly after that is that to – Make it possible for 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 customers to return to 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 grow their confidence at least to make a booking and 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 to reduce at least the, the perception that they would go have to wait very long for their for their refund or don't get their money back completely. The airlines already quite quickly started to um, make the terms and conditions much much more flexible, right? And 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 they made at least more uh, concrete promises that you know if something would happen, you no know, that you know this is X Y Z, this is what uh, this is how you as a consumer would would uh, would would deal with that. And I think now being you no know, let's say more than a year later, um, I think the airlines have become better. They have probably um, you know let's say automated some of their refund processes has figured out some of the, right. the, the, the challenges that they were unknown to, you know, in the beginning and they have now learned about it, you know, the hard way, unfortunately. So I think <laughs> consumer expectations have probably changed and they know now that it's not going to be completely like frictionless because you now there's still a, a pandemic going on. Uh, and, and I think the suppliers to a certain degree have also have found, you know, the, like a steady ground where they can now have better processes in place to deal with it. It was, um, you know, there were a lot of processes that I always say that, that were not really broken, uh, so there was no right. reason to fix them. I think the pandemic yep. reversed a lot of stuff and broke a lot of stuff. And I think that hopefully in a couple of years' time, we'll say like, oh, we really made a jump, you know, uh, to better technology, better processes, uh, better integrations. Uh, due to this, it was it was very, uh, there was a lot of hardship. It was very emotionally, it was very difficult. But at least, you know, we, we took a couple steps back and we, we fixed a lot of problems. And now for, the, for years to come, we'll be good. Yeah, I totally agree with that. There was a motivating factor there, and it was mm -hmm. driven by the economic reality of this pandemic. Let, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about alternative payment methods. And this actually may tie in with what we what we just talked about. So consumer behavior change. We, we, we've kind of established that, right? There were, there were a lot of behaviors beforehand by both the industry as well as consumers that were, I think, pretty well accepted. Now we have a different we have a different ballgame, right? So, so now, uh, interestingly enough, along the uh, the the uh, sort of topic of airline or travel provider risk, along comes a new type of paying for, uh, you know, say uh, a a a. Uh, uh, a very expensive vacation or uh, travel abroad kind of thing, right? So I'm talking about uh, sort of the buy now, pay later concept, right? Uh, Klarna is a good example of that. I think a firm, uh, I was, we were even talking yesterday about this company fly now, pay later, right? So, what's, so, what's in so a name? The, huh? yeah. yeah, so, so it's a great name, I think. But the, the question is, what do we see in the industry? Doesn't that shift liability from the travel provider themselves to these new forms of payment in many respect? Uh, what, what are your views on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that the um, the trend was already visible before the pandemic. Um, I think the, the pandemic really uh, put a lot of pressure, stress on on cash flow and on on people's access to cash or or or, or credit. And um, so, where um, maybe before the pandemic, it was more common just to pay the full amount up front uh, from directly from your bank account or or from your charge card. And I put especially for younger people. 20, 30, 35 uh, range, uh, it would put, uh, okay, yes, you would like to travel um, domestically, I guess, in most cases, but um, but I would like to, given my financial situation, I'd like to spread my uh, my payment uh, so that it's not going to hit my, my my account you know, on day one. So that was already underway. And I think that that was definitely also, again, accelerated by, by the pandemic. Um, interesting development. Um, it differs quite a lot, by the way, um, you know, if you look at from which side of the big pond, you know, I think in the U.S. is a definitely different uh, perspective than than here in Europe. Here in Europe, if you would book with a tour operator, you would already pay the probably thirty percent of the total sum. You know, within two weeks and the remainder six weeks before departure, uh, you would pay then. So you would already have kind kind of kind of a spread there. Uh, but also bear in mind that uh, in most uh, let's say debit markets. So I would say the regions here in Europe where you first earn your money, then you spend it, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> that's where, that's, that's where um, you know, you would, if you would own a, a card, it would typically be a, char- a charge card, meaning that it would be automatically built, you know, and, and, and deducted from your account at the end of the month. So you don't really, and you don't pay any extra interest. Uh, so right. it's not like you spread it already. And, and, and I, but in other markets, like, like in the UK and France and Spain and Portugal, I think that's it's more common to have still revolving credit. So uh, of course, there's, there's a price tag to that as well for the consumer. So that's where I think these new entrants, these fintech companies try to find like a middle ground where they can, make it from an, an airline or, or, or travel provider uh, perspective uh, more like business usual because they get an instant confirmation and they uh, get the funds, you know, uh, uh, into their account within a couple of days. So like, like right. it, it would be a usual uh, situation with, with a card acquire normally. Um, but the consumer then basically uh, is, is interacting with the, uh, the, the BNPL provider and agrees on a plan. You know, it could be the whole amount in two weeks. Uh, it could be spread over three months, six months, depending on, I guess, the booking as well. Uh, right. It's it's not very common, I think, to pay after it's a, it's a perishable good, right? Travel. I mean, once right. you've Correct. once you've you've done it, it's gone, right? So um, so I don't think it's a very good thing to do to have like a thirty six month plan uh, and, and you travel the next month because then I think the right. incentive to to pay the remainder not for everyone, of course, but the subset will probably be less incentivized to pay the remaining uh, uh, installments. Um, um, so yes, that's definitely. Um, I think that the uh, I, what I always find a, a, an interesting uh, aspect of it is that in a lot of cases, especially with airlines, not so much with uh, with like the, the, the packaging companies or the the, the, the vacation uh, companies, but is that you no know, in the end uh, not to disrupt the airline process, you no know, actually on the fly uh, a, a virtual card is inserted in the booking so that from an a, from an airline perspective, it's an authorization, it's a settlement, it's a standard process. It just goes with the, with a the regular card flow. Correct. Um, yep. And then in, in a lot of cases, also the consumer then pays the BNPL provider also with the card. So so in a way, yep. it's it's kind of a, a middleware, a kind of a wrapper around cards on both sides, but it fits yep. the purpose because you now in the end, the consumer is more willing you know, to make a booking or maybe a, for a higher amount if they can yep. spread the uh, the amount over time. Yeah, I think, I think again, the, the, the risk is, is shifted. To be honest with mm-hmm. you, the the credit risk is is shifted 
from the provider uh, to, you know, in, in the, in the event of something breaks, right. Some mm-hmm. problem happens. Yeah. They, they get a charge back right now. The, the credit authorization goes through this other company so that the, the literally the consumer is applying for credit and they mm-hmm. may pay 0% interest, but they also may pay 29% interest just like they do on their card. So, so really it's a very unique process of taking potential liability away from the travel provider and actually consuming yeah. that on the, on behalf of the, the BNPL uh, yeah. provider. So it's a great thing, I think in many respects for the industry, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. Now, yeah. now, similarly, you, you, you mentioned, uh, <clears throat> sort of direct debit, right? So, which is a very much a Europe uh, kind of a thing, right? We have debit cards here, but, but, but it's a little bit different there. Tell me about ideal, uh, a kind of, you know, a payment, form of payment uh, in your uh, home country mm-hmm. in the Netherlands. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, based on the SEPA sort of workflow. Uh, wh- what do you see there? How does that, uh, those types of uh, payment mm-hmm. options. How do they come into play with travel providers, and do they yeah. like them? Do they not like them? What's the what's the the feeling around those types of things? Yeah, well, that's that's, that's a very good question. I think there's uh, especially now, you know, after, during after the pandemic, there's a couple of new elements that play a role there as well. But um, I think Ideal started basically already in 2005, and um, it, it, I think it originated more in the Nordics. I, I always said, like, you know, maybe it's so cold there in the winter, probably close to where you live as well, uh, that people didn't <laughs> want to go out, you know, to, to make a payment. They just wanted to do their banking from 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 home, right? Online banking. Right. That's where it started. So, and bear in mind that the Nordics, Finland, Switzerland, Denmark, Norway, uh, the, 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 let's say uh, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Netherlands, um, you know, Belgium, um, not heavily, uh, there's not, not, not a lot of uh, penetration from, from cars. People, like I said before, they want to earn their money first before they spend it. So it's right. it's money in your account, which you basically uh, make available real time to, to transfer from your account to the merchant account. And basically it's uh, at the time of booking, um, you know, you select um, if it's ideal. There are others as well in other countries um, and, and overlapping uh, uh, structures as well. But um, is that you you select your bank and basically you're redirected to your your familiar uh, online banking uh, account yep. where you log in. Uh, with whatever um, you know, authentication mechanism that's, uh, that you're used to because you use it every day for, for other purposes as well, for, to pay the rent, stuff like that. Um, and then with your redirect, you know, your transaction details are actually included, the amount and, and, and the beneficiary. And the only thing you can do basically is select an account that you would like to use for it if you have multiple and then approve it. And then of course, there's a check if there's sufficient money in that particular account uh, to, um, you know, to move the full amount to, to the merchant account. Uh, the good thing is it's basically a push from my account to the merchant account. So it's not a pool which you can dispute because you've done it yourself, you authenticate yourself uh, and you right. moved it. So you, you were fully aware of it. Um, and, and, and in case of ideal, but it's a little bit per, per scheme, uh, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a small fixed amount, uh, which is basically transferred either instantly or the next day into your account. So that's all very positive from a merchant perspective. 
Um, right. I think what, um, and, and especially in the countries I mentioned, uh, you really need it to, 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 to convince people to move online, to book with you uh, online. Um, because again, uh, it's not like in certain countries, I remember like UAE, I think where the average uh, citizen has like eight or 10 cards because they, there are a lot of incentives there to use your card. Not so much here. So you use your bank account, you've earned it first and then you pay for it. I think what's the most uh, probably... The, what, what happened since uh, is that uh, since uh, also PSD2 and under, under the whole SEPA that no, uh, there are now the banks have to open up to APIs by third parties so that it's easier to uh, to redirect the customer and to pull the money basically you know from the account with permission of the of, of the account holder and that's uh, where a lot of discussions or a lot of traction in the market now is and a lot of funding goes to open banking. Uh, but it's pretty much the same thing, you know. You pay from your bank account, from your uh, your current account, uh, and and it's 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 moves instantly to either an intermediary or to the merchant. The key thing now, I think, is that uh, some uh, providers get a little bit, you know, uh, uh, enthusiastic about it, and they say, "Well, this is going to be a credit card killer." You know, this uh, be aware, you know, Visa, Mastercard, right. Express, we're going to get, we're going to come after you. And I think, especially in travel. Um, I think you then look at it too much from the the merchant perspective, and and what's the incentive for the for the for the for the customer for the uh, for the cardholder to switch away from um, using a no a sometimes a, a co branded you know with the airline credit card with miles with insurance you know with uh, delayed payment uh, with a uh, protection against non delivery of service uh, and and what's in it for me if I then move to open banking. What's actually money leaves my account right away. I have no protection. I have no perks. I have no miles right. or whatever. So I think that's still a long, there's still a lot of things to be done. And the interesting thing is that currently it's, 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 real, it's very cheap because it's bare bone. But if you start yeah. adding these components to it, it also the cost will go up. So pretty much you have then a pretty apples versus yeah. apples comparison. Now it's apples versus yeah. oranges. Yeah. 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 So I think, again, the risk is shifted back to the consumer right because they don't have the the chargeback the dispute rights right they don't they don't have a very defined set of rules within the context of these these uh you know sort of open banking uh you know uh, European, uh, but but it's not just Europe. I mean, it's happening all over the yes, world now. It's like all the US, etc. Yeah. It's, it's a global approach. So the travel providers benefit, right? But it it does introduce new risk to the consumer. It's, it's all about adoption. If if in the end totally. uh, they can't com- convince the uh, the customer to use it, then no, it's all theory, right? It, it's all theory at this point. Let let's talk a little bit. Uh, just just really quickly, because we're coming up, we've got about 15, 16 minutes left. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, regional. We've talked to Europe, right? So, so, mm-hmm. so we've, we've, we've kind of discussed the idea of the SEPA approach uh, to the Nordic approach, maybe is a better way of putting it, to uh, paying for everything, but travel in particular. What, what, what's happening in Asia? Um, we have a lot of wallets, you know, you've got WeChat, Alipay. I mean, there's just a, I, I, I was doing a little bit of research on it last night. And there's just a, a list of, of alternative payment methods. And what are we seeing in terms of travel in Asia right now, paying for travel specifically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And probably if we, if we go back again to 
what the impact was of, of, of the pandemic on customer behavior in general when it comes to payments. And I think in, in, in China, it was already underway, right? Where the, even the beggar on the streets, you know, the, 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 the local farmer that's selling the, its produce on, 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 the mar- on the market on the street, they already had a QR code so that no one's carrying cash anymore, right? So you use your phone to with, pay with Alipay or WeChat Pay or, or Union Pay. So I think that that they were already ahead of the curve there. So I think uh, what's what probably what we can learn from that is that uh, and, and uh, sometimes called to sort of refer to as super apps that where they bring kind of a whole ecosystem together. You know, you can. Yep. Uh, get your car to pick you up, you can pay for your groceries, you, know, you can date, you can do whatever you like on, on online within the, this, let's say, this ecosystem. And, and payment is an important part of that. And, um, uh, absolutely. And that's, yeah, yeah. And so um, I, I recently was uh, hosting a session and there was someone from uh, CTO from AirAsia and they, they have their AirAsia app and they basically see airline becoming the ultimate retailer. By by offering all these services from food delivery to 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 ride hailing to um, you know dating whatever I mean and oh by the way we also have seats on a plane uh, so <laughs> it's, it's, it, no it's 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 shifting away from uh, let's say oh flying is our core business oh we do uh, a couple of things on the side to we do a lot of stuff oh by the way we also run an airline so yeah that that's interesting uh, yeah it, it, it it's so true right i mean i i i know that uh, many many of the international carriers have marketplaces right they, they there's so much happening in that arena of uh, well we sell wine and uh, we like you said we, you can get your car here you can call your car after you get off your plane and it's 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 really becoming a seamless experience i think that's the approach that 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 everyone is taking which brings me to the next topic which is even before the pandemic there were a lot of uh i will call them uh innovations right that were being uh hatched by the industry that i think were very very positive uh the new dis- distribution capability right uh which is ndc that sort of travel and payments you know we got to have our acronyms right so you had NDC and that that's happening right and I know with uh, IOTA for example uh, the whole concept of airlines and retailing right sort of sort of taking in that that the, the bigger picture of of this we're not just selling seats on an airplane we're actually providing an experience right now mm-hmm. now I have a very specific question on this if you're talking about NDC you're talking about uh, airlines and retailing. You're talking about the Open Payments Alignment uh, Alliance with Hedna uh, for hotels. The payment experience has become kind of the, I, I want to say, the crown jewel of 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 the travel industry. They they realize this is an important piece. It's not just the journey they take in the plane and on the bus and the this and the that. It's actually the customer journey that they take with payments. Talk to me about that. Were these initiatives or have they been validated or invalidated within the context of the post-pandemic world? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think NDC is a very good example and um, uh, recently organized an event on this topic and, and mainly because I thought it was overdue that initially it was not considered payments and it, I, I guess, you know, to get the, the distribution part, the sales part out of the way first and then uh, worry about uh, the payments part. And I mean, in all fairness, um, even if probably it would have been considered early on then with all the regulation changes, with the impact of the pandemic, it would have been a, a you know, a, a long and winding road or a steep learning curve as well, because it, there's, it's doing it right. And, and retailing is one, but in the end, you know, you see the tip of the iceberg. A lot of things have to happen on the water uh, about, you know, um, paying the individual suppliers, you know, the risk, the, 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 the fraud management, the chargebacks. Uh, it, it, doing, you know, I think a lot of it is, is just, not in plain sight. And if you start, if you want to become a retailer yourself, then you also have to take care of all these aspects to do it right. And a lot of it's, you know, if, if it's payment side compliance, security, there's a lot of things to consider, which if you're not involved directly, or maybe you get a commission because you do a redirect, then you don't have to worry about it. If you bring it all on board, yes, you have the ownership, you have the control, you have the commercial messaging, et cetera, but you still have to do to also deal with all the aspects that come with payments, the cost of fraud, the risk, et cetera. So I think that's, where we're trying to, uh, I think in the travel industry, we're always a little bit behind with payments, which, which is okay. Uh, but it's, it, it, I think it's worthwhile to, to make sure that we, we stay close to it at least and not like with NDC that we were six years behind the curve, right? So that's where we do the whole retrofitting part, the whole like catching up part. And, and that's where I think the pandemic uh, will will help in a way to 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 accelerate NDC because I think there is a need for for recovery. There's there is a, there is an opportunity, a window to to create change. Uh, but then we also make make sure that we zip in that we that we make sure that the payments also work because currently it's still pretty static. And like I see, and most of the payments are still done you know on the over the traditional rails. Whilst NDC initially was the idea, now we're going to create a complete new. No bilateral relationship between the the airline and travel agency, but in the end, I think the, the, the parts of the organizations on both sides were not really ready for that yet, and we still work on <laughs> figuring that out. I, I think that's so true. And what what I love about about innovation is that that you know the 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 version one right is always the most difficult to uh, sort of bring. Uh, to fruition, right? But it also, once you do it, you're, everybody celebrates. No, no question about that. But it also highlights the the, the issues within that particular thing. It's right? always so, room for improvement. Yeah, always room. And so now you got to get one dot one, one dot two, and then yeah. you go on to the two dot oh and all that. But my, we're getting my, there. We're getting there. Yeah, we're getting there. And my view of it is that these are very good for the industry because, again, it goes back to focusing in on the customer journey, right? And, and uh, you know, I, I'm still a little bit, frankly, confused about the, the full capabilities of NDC. So if I say something here that, that, that's wrong, but, but my understanding is let's unify the experience for the, for the passenger, for the traveler, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Let's unify this so that we don't have all these different, you know, experiences. And, and I think this is going to be ultimately when we finalize, when it finally kind of evolves into what it's supposed to be, will be a great thing for mm -hmm. passengers. And what's good for the passengers and the travelers is ultimately good for the providers as well. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, sure. And then actually yesterday I, I, I summed up on a use case where uh, I was speaking to um, a large uh, European travel agency about this. And um, 
where the booking is made with MDC, uh, you're currently restricted in, 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 in the forms of payment, but typically, you know, the, the travel agency would step in and, and they would take a payment from the consumer and then they would put in a B2B payment basically to pay the airline. Um, but it could well be that, you know, you mentioned Ideal, that I have paid with Ideal to the travel agency and the, the travel agency has paid with a virtual card to the airline. And then I actually go online to uh, to manage my booking or to check in and what will I pay for, you know, an upgrade for, for an extra bag. Then all of a sudden, that airline, you know, uh, that that U.S. airline that you were talking about, uh, doesn't offer ideal or doesn't offer my currency. Right. So I think that's right. that's where still. But the airline also doesn't want to give the the, the management booking or the the internet check in to travel agency because they lose control and, and and you know marketing opportunities. So I think there's still some some things to work out there. That yes, you yeah. can completely streamline the process, but it also comes at a price. The price being that you have to then let go of the the ownership of the customer, and that's always a very sensitive topic. Uh, it's very sensitive, and 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 of course, travel. For those who don't know the travel ecosystem, it's very complex, and there's a lot of walls that that are thrown up between yeah. online travel agencies and airlines, travel providers, all this kind of stuff. So, okay, we just have a few minutes left. This really, I think, kind of kind of comes down to uh, to an interesting development that we've seen in the last few years, pre-pandemic, also, but many of the sort of um, uh, legacy, I'll call them legacy players, uh, but but they're really innovating as a result of of understanding that that they needed to get in the game. Many many of these providers. So let's just say a GDS gets into the payments you know space. They've enabled a payments approach, right? Uh, IATA, uh, which is a great. Uh, a great industry organization has created the IATA Financial Gateway, and they're going to begin, you know, that payment orchestration piece. It, 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 I just see a lot of this happening. What What is your view of this, and how do you see that fitting into the post-pandemic world, and really the recovery and the thriving of the travel industry? Yeah, I think that was already underway for quite a while. Uh, if you go back to um, the early days of e-commerce um, and pre-e-commerce, I mean, it was completely disconnected payments from 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 booking, from distribution, uh, with direct sales. Um, all of a sudden, no, the, the airline was made responsible for uh, authorizing a payment and for collecting a payment. Um, initially, um, the, the, the GDSs uh, led that to, uh, you know, the airlines or to their partners. Uh, but they also realized that, um, that that the whole value chain is moving up and down and sideways and that they, they, they're trying to, to, to grow basically the presence and monetize certain of the aspects that, uh, uh, that have become more important over time. And payments is definitely one yeah. of them. It's more like core business now also for the PSSs and, and other travel technology providers. Uh, some of them are, are not yet really aware of it, but they, that will, will come as well, for instance, with, with NDC. But um, so, yes, that you see that they, they move basically down the chain. You see that where uh, initially uh, what we now call a traditional gateway would, would play that role. Well, they have basically absorbed that part and have become the gateway themselves. Some of them are are, are bringing on, like if it's like DCC and MCP or, or fraud screening and and and, and even, you know, to, to the extent of acquiring. Uh, so uh, payments has become, yeah, basically, you know, um, a complete playing field where you can play whatever role you like. Also with, you know, legislations and regulations in, in Europe, for instance, under PSD2, you, know, you can can become yeah. your own payment institution if you want if you want as a merchant and you can do everything yourself 
it's, it's a choice. But um, you see that um, acquirers have, have introduced gateways, gateways have become acquirers, gateways have become payment orchestration providers. Um, the whole full stack approach that you can offer basically the whole package, including issuing yep. and acquiring and uh, and transmit handling and everything. I mean, it's it, yes, it's um, you know, looking at the investments flowing into this industry in the payment on the payment side. I think there's a lot of yep. interest in it and to, to expand into it. Not all with the same amount of success. Not everyone is is, 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 is is motivated to do it, but there's definitely a lot of movement up and down the chain. That's for sure. Yeah. One final question. This is more of a uh, a question for for Paul. How has your business up in the air? And I know you have some other initiatives going on. How has your business uh, been impacted? And and how have you evolved? Uh, in in your practice, I mean, you're 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 a fintech guy, right? You you mm-hmm. understand payments, right? But has it changed your business? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, when when you know borders closed, when flights were cancelled, uh, I think all of a sudden, what was for many years, uh, you know, a challenge to find the last. One percent in conversion, or to reduce the cost with a couple of basis points, or to integrate that third wallet in Vietnam. I mean, that was all like doesn't matter. It's all about you know survival. It's about business continuity. It's about credit risk management. It's about staying alive. And I think that 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 made a lot of changes. And and what I've been working on is is, is really to support the ecosystem in and, and to create to make to, to make it sustainable. To make sure that. In the end, there is sufficient supply from you know, payment providers, from acquirers to to meet uh, the existing and, and and future growing demand. And I think yeah. that's where to to help the industry understand what the true risk is and, and what are the upsides and, and how to manage the downsides of working in the travel industry. But for a lot of people and and, and a lot of links in the chain, it's still a, a very risky and, and tricky business because also yeah. they don't really understand the moving parts and what plays a role. So I think that's, it's, it's back to the drawing board, making sure that we have the right uh, you know, components in place to, to make it work and maybe use it, this period as well for innovation, but also making sure that it's stabilized, it's robust, right. it has you know, potential towards the future and then build further from there. So it was yeah. all of us, we went into reverse, we went a couple of steps back, and, and no, we, we, we stepped in to fix it and hopefully we'll come out stronger than we went in before. That, that's great. It, it's been great to, to journey with you through the past, what, 18, 20 months, whatever it's been. And, you know, you and I have been on a lot of panels. And uh, I, in, in summation, I just want to say that I think in general that, that there have been really good things that have come out of the, the pandemic for the travel industry, right? I think a lot of the processes that we uh, sort of took for granted. A lot of the people that we took for granted now have been, we realize that these things are important and we need to pay attention to them. So to I work, think there's uh, a lot. Closely together uh, and, and we're in it together. Yeah. And there was always. Yeah. yeah. And, and without passengers, the industry is dead. Without travelers, without people to go on tours, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, so for me, the future is bright. I'm very excited about what's coming and, and the innovation that we see in the industry, uh, even around disputes, is, is very heartening. So thank you, Paul, for joining us. You've been a great, great friend through this entire process. We appreciate you so much. And uh, yeah, we look forward to more. Let's have another uh, session down the road. So thanks yeah, a lot. Yeah, hope, hopefully, hopefully face-to-face. Thank you very much for inviting me and uh, take care. Holland.
Indeed. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for joining us.